0: I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. As some of you may know, I do a lot of running and cycling. But I don't just do these things. I also coach other people who do them as well. I've led cycling classes for the 90-plus cycling team that I've ridden with and I've coached lots of runners um, through the Howard County Striders, the local running club. Wherever I coach, and especially in these running programs, we set up our programs to have a goal. That is, there's a particular race that we're helping runners to get ready for. And we have practices and drills and training and weekly logs and all sorts of things to help people get out there and get ready for the big event. But about halfway through each program, Near the midpoint, we have our runners compete in one of the regional races. These races act like a yardstick. Here at the midpoint of the training, we hold up a yardstick to each runner and look at their preparation, where they're succeeding and where they're failing, where they've fallen short and where they hope to measure up, where they're doing well, and where they may need some more work. Today, we hit the third Sunday of Lent. Now, we're not quite at the midpoint yet, but we've got a fair amount of Lent under our belts. Today, in this time of penitence and self-reflection, Paul offers us a yardstick. Now, consider for a moment the Book of Romans. Paul hadn't been to Rome yet. He wanted to go. He knew a bunch of people who he knew there, but he hadn't quite arrived there himself. So he sends them his own letter of recommendation, and here he lays out his understanding of the Christian faith so that they can assess whether they thought that he was teaching the right things, and decide if they wanted to invite him over should he ever get to Rome. And that's our book of Romans. This is Paul trying to persuade the Romans that he knows and shares the faith of Christ. As a result, our piece for today is just about as clear a boiling down of the Christian faith as you're going to find anywhere in Paul. Paul lays it out on the line and lays bare his grasp of the fundamentals. We're saved by God's grace, not because of what we do. Faith, hope, and love are not just three great gifts of God, but are three great signs of our belief. Not only does Christ love each one of us individually, he loves us enough to die for us in order that we can be fully reconciled with God. And this is what the whole Christian thing is about, that we can be and should be reconciled with the God who knows us and yet still loves us. And this is what Paul is telling the Romans to persuade them that he teaches the same faith that they hold. And our lectionary gives us this piece here, at this point in Lent, like a race in the middle of a running program to give us a yardstick, a measure, a checkup. So you think you know the gospel, do you? You think you know what God expects? Here is the answer key that Paul gives us. How well do you think that you're doing? At the heart of the gospel stands love. According to some people who talk about love, Love is something gooey, formless, and sugary, something that makes everyone feel good about themselves or everyone else. That's not what Paul's talking about. The single concrete action for Paul that embodies love is nothing less than death. It is the death of God, the crucifixion of Christ, for as yet unrepentant sinners that reveals the strange depths of God's love. What possible motivation could there be for God to become one of us, then to allow himself to die a cruel death on our behalf? While we nothing heeded, God interceded. These actions make no sense at all unless we catch sight behind them of the grandeur and breadth of God's love that embraces such suffering and pain to save those whom he loves, us and those like us even though we fail to love him in return. While we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Christ reset our relationship with God, undoing the bonds that we keep using to try to push God away from ourselves. This is reconciliation. This is Christ mediating and restoring our messed up relationship with God. This is Jesus inviting us to return to him and through him to a life hid in God, a life marked by transformation into love and trust in God. Now, there's a section in our reading today that always jumps out at me. It's the part where Paul shows us how experiences and virtues can pile up on one another like a staircase, bringing us from one thing to another to another until we arrive somewhere we could have never reached before. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. As a long-distance runner, and as someone who coaches other long-distance runners, this is something that I can relate to very easily. Those early morning 20-mile runs aren't very much fun, but there's a reason and a purpose. They help you arrive somewhere you never could have reached before, literally. And that's how Paul intends this passage to be understood. Here, as in 1 Corinthians and in other places, Paul uses sports metaphors to talk about our increase in the spiritual life. And like lifting weights or practicing your tennis backhand or logging lots of miles, our disciplines of fasting and prayer and the study of Scripture can help us gain a keener sense of the presence of God in our lives. And this is the suffering that we choose. But then there's the suffering that we don't choose. The news that hits us unexpectedly, fast and hard. The diagnosis. The pink slip. The news about a loved one. In some churches you may hear that God gives us these things because he thinks we need more character. You won't hear that here. That's not what Paul is saying. God doesn't afflict us in order to teach us life lessons because the stairs can go the other way, too. Suffering can produce self-pity, and self-pity can produce bitterness, and bitterness can produce despair. And this isn't the will of God who loves us and gave himself to be reconciled for us. And yet the words that Paul gives us here, the sports metaphor that he uses, lays the foundation for how we wrestle with our greater and deeper sufferings as well. God's love didn't end on the cross. As we stand in Lent, we look to Easter, to the empty tomb and the flowered cross. Faith, hope, and love give us the promise that death and suffering will not get the last word. God does not promise that everything will be okay. But God does promise that he and his love will never leave us alone in the darkness. I don't believe that God chooses to inflict suffering on us, but God always stands by with a word of resurrection. Bad things don't happen to teach us life lessons, but we can experience the resurrection power even in their midst. In turning to the love, the peace, the grace which God showers upon us, by choosing resurrection, choosing the life hid with Christ in God, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We can alter which staircase we take. The path to despair certainly feels easier, but the Spirit beckons us towards hope. From sadness, from disappointment, we can walk one of two paths. Choose life, choose hope, choose resurrection. The way that we measure where we are, how we're doing, which way on the staircase we're going, is to use our yardstick. Paul presents us with a self-supporting cycle of faith, hope, and love. And all three build on each other, but the greatest of these is love. When we measure our spiritual state, then, the key is to measure our love. The great African teacher, St. Augustine, once wrote, When we ask someone whether they are a good man, we are not asking if he believes or hopes, but what he loves. He who loves rightly believes and hopes rightly. And, as Paul shows us, love of which we speak is not this gooey, sentimental passion. God tried to tell us again and again what love really means, and we just couldn't get the picture. So instead of trying to tell us yet again, he showed us in his own flesh. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. This is what God means by love a love that is willing to die to reconcile an enemy with a friend. And this is our yardstick, the true measure of God's love for us. So this Lent, as we reflect upon ourselves and our relationship with God, let us consider where we are. Where are our sufferings, both those we choose and those we don't? What is our response to them? Are we climbing towards hope? Or are we drifting towards despair? As we grow in faith, are we growing in love? Do our words and actions proclaim the work of God in our world? Like runners preparing for a race, let us assess ourselves and take stock. Where do we need to be stronger? Where do we need to be more loving? What are the closed paths where we need to open ourselves to the life-giving grace of God? It's the middle of Lent, it's time to take stock. We can run this race to its completion. We keep our eyes on the cross and beyond it, we find the empty tomb, God's fullest sign of his greatest love poured out for us. Let us also direct ourselves to the hope and promise of the resurrection, amen.